We'll see Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. And uh, again, our theme, the body life. The body life. You are the body, the body of Christ. And Ephesians covers, again, the responsibilities and the roles of the body of Christ. This morning, we're going to look at children and parents. Who's in charge? <laughs> children and parents. Who's in charge? We're going to cover verses 1 through 4 this morning. After the fall of the first family, Adam and Eve... God imposed subjection on the wife, which we covered this last time we were together. And because of her sinful nature, she would constantly try to control authority over her husband. And because of his sinful nature, or man's sinful nature, he would abuse his position as the head of the family. When they had children, that is, Adam and Eve, when they had children, they, they passed that sinful nature, nature on to their children. Cain got angry, and he held a grudge against his brother Abel. And that grudge eventually led him to murder his brother. So since the fall of the first family, <clears throat> every family ever since has been bombarded with every kind of problem that you could think of that weakens and promises to destroy the family. The main cause of problems in any relationship is sin. And every other human problem is sin. And the sinful nature every person is born with is then passed on to every family member through birth. It's only when Jesus Christ is Lord and a family is living by the standards of the Word of God that a family can be restored to peace in the home. Another reason for family problems is the devil-driven world that we live in. God wants to build and he wants to strengthen and he wants to provide for the family and protect the family. Satan wants to weaken, destroy it, and to tear it down. And unfortunately, he's doing a good job these days. His plan is to get the family to live by the world's standards so that it doesn't work the way God designed it to. And no Christian should do anything by the world standards. It's unacceptable to God. He says we're not to be friends with the world. So again, uh, we need to heed God's word. And from day one, God's plan was for his people to be different. To be separated from the ways of the world. He said in Leviticus 20 verse 26, And you shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the people that you should be mine. We belong to Him. Another important reason for the destruction of the home is the humanistic ideas about the family. And boy, have we seen what they've done to the family today. With the transgendering and the indoctrination and all that's going on. Humanistic ideas. Man's ideas. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Parents who don't totally and faithfully take the responsibility upon themselves of teaching their children the ways of God are likely to wake up one day to find their children so tangled up 
in the world's cesspool of immoral thinking and living that it'll almost be impossible for them to get out. And it happens so gradually that you don't see it coming. And since Adam and Eve, the families in society, I'm sorry, the values in society have changed over the years. Terribly so. And most people have hardly noticed them. Every time one of God's standards and values is tweaked just a little bit, it doesn't seem to be a big deal. Because that subtle tweaking that lowers the bar of God's standards and values happens so slowly, nobody notices the danger, even when the family and society start to fall to pieces and crumble. God's moral and spiritual standards have been tweaked little by little from century to century to the point that so many families have been destroyed, redefining the family and the family structure. When Christians are divorcing as much or more as the rest of society, that should raise a red flag. Something's wrong. Our strategy should have changed a long time ago. You know, if a, if a big multi-million dollar company had all of these problems or had problems that was you know, causing you know, uh, their, their company to lose money or, or to, to be divided among the employees, you know, they would have done something. They, they do something right away. They change things to stop those things from going on. But we seem to just let them go because we follow the world standards for way too long. Now, more and more we see Christians living together. Christians unequally yoked, going to the altar. Christians having premarital sex. Christians divorcing rather than reinforcing. You know, we, have, we are going to be really, really, you know, when we stand before God, you know, we're, we're going to have no excuses for anything, really. This nation has Christian seminars conferences, books on marriage and raising children. There are all kinds of methods and principles available for making us stronger. Yet the Bible still gives the basic foundation for building right relationships between parents and children. When are we going to listen? When are we going to obey? The Bible has all the basic information that is needed for every parent and every child. But unless we study the scriptures and unless we apply them, apply them, we're not going to have a godly and well-balanced family life. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. We need to stop listening to secular advice that contradicts what God's word says. The Bible says children are to obey and honor their parents. And parents are not to let go of that responsibility. And let their children choose whatever they want to do and they weigh the way they want to do it. The Bible gives us all the instructions that we need to raise our children in righteousness and godliness. And God's word also instructs the child how they should work together with and respond to their parents. You see, the Bible was written two, over 2,000 years ago. It's never been revised. Because it doesn't need to be. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can stand upon his word. It's infinitely wisdom. Infinitely wise. Now man hasn't changed all that much either in that time. 
So you see, what the Bible has to say is relevant and it's eternal. And nothing that man discovers or thinks of or invents is new. And it's not surprising to God. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 says this, History, uh, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new. But actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. It's already been done in ancient times before us. So again, we need to heed God's word. Stick to God's word. Pay attention to what he's saying. So with that little bit of backdrop, let's begin now with chapter 6 of Ephesians and let's look at verses 1 through 3 as it explains here the duty of children. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Verses 1 through 3 covers the duty of the children. It says, obey and honor your father and mother. The word children here, it means all children who are still at home, not again, not just young children. All children still living at home are to obey their mother and father. Because again, you know, sometimes we have kids 25, 30, 40 years old still living at home. They think, well, you know, I'm an adult. I don't need to listen. As long as you're under my roof, you will listen. Or you won't have a roof. <laughs> Bottom line. Obey speaks of an action. And honor speaks of an attitude. Even married children who are no longer under their parents' authority should have a special respect for their parents as long as they're alive. And if you raise your children to honor and obey, you'll, you'll, they'll, always, they'll always be open to your wisdom, your counsel, and your well-being. Strong's Concordance says the word obey literally means to hear under. To hear under. Like a subordinate, it means to listen attentive and pay attention or conform to a command or authority. In other words, children... They are to place themselves under their parents' authority and do what they say. Again, if at home. Now, it says they have to do that in the Lord. In the Lord speaks of the limits of that obedience. As long as it's pleasing to the Lord. Children, you obey your parents as a sign of your obedience to the Lord. Children, you are to also honor your parents. You are to obey and honor them because, you, because when you do it, it shows that you also obey and honor the Lord. Parents are basically to teach their children about the Lord. Not the church's responsibility. It's not the school's responsibility. It's our responsibility as parents. Until they are old enough to have their own mature relationship with the Lord themselves. And parents, God has appointed you, us, to be their guardians. Not a friend, not a temporary authority for your children. You who are just, they're, they're loaned to us by God to take care of. And that's why children are commanded to obey their parents in all things, because it really pleases the Lord. And we are to do all things that please the Lord. Just as Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. 
The only exception for not obeying your parents is if they ask you to do something wrong. Every believer, young and old, shouldn't do anything that's clearly against the Word of God. And we need to follow Peter and John's example in Acts 4, 19 through 20. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Other than that, a child is to obey their parents in everything. So, why should children obey and honor their parents? Simply because it's right. Notice right there in verse 1, it says, For this is right. God said it's right, so that makes it right. It's correct, it's just and righteous, and that's exactly the way it should be. Because, again, everything God tells us to do is right. God will never lead us on the wrong path. God will never tell us to do something that isn't right. And if you honor your parents, then you will have the right attitude about them. And that will result in obedience. To honor your parents means to value them highly to hold them in the highest regard and respect. The word honor here is often the same word used for reverencing and honoring God and Christ, thinking of Him as precious. It's also used by the Father, referring to the Son. Children, you are to to obey your parents, holding them in the highest possible respect. Paul's quoting here in in verse 2, again, one of the commandments. Honoring your father and your mother. So there's two reasons for honoring your father and your mother in this commandment. First, it says that it may be well with you. Notice it says there that it may be well with you. This speaks about the quality of life. Secondly, it says that you may live long on the earth. This speaks about the quantity of life that's promised. And that'll be explained as we go on here. Even though this promise was originally given to Israel and it concerned many physical and earthly blessings, it also applies to believers today. Our blessings might not always be physical, but a family where children and parents live in mutual love and submission, they will have a rich, God-given harmony and fulfillment that other families can't experience and won't experience. As for the promise of living long on earth, this speaks of the believer who honors his parents can know that his lifetime or her lifetime will be all that God intends it to be rather than it be cut short like it was for Ananias and Sapphira who lied to God. And also in Paul, in Corinthians, when Paul said that some some sleep now because they, they disobeyed God. Today we hear about children hitting their parents cursing their parents, running away from their parents to live with friends or, 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 or somebody else, divorcing their parents, murdering their parents, suing their parents. It's because they don't want to obey and live under their rules. If you constantly allow your child to do whatever they want and have their own way, pretty soon they'll mock you. They'll mock their teachers. They'll mock moral standards. They'll mock the law and society in general. Look at what's going on today with the smash and grabs. Young people taking over in the intersections of blocking off traffic and doing their thing with their cars. We see it so much today. Children who disrespect 
will, will bring chaos. A generation of undisciplined and disobedient children will produce the same kind of society and we're seeing it today, disruptive and destructive. Children, honoring your parents also means taking care of them when they can't take care of themselves anymore. Just like your parents took care of you and provided for you, you're to spend whatever time and money it takes to take care of them and provide for them the best of your ability if and when that time's come when they can't take care of themselves anymore. Jesus made that clear in chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 3 through 6. Parents, you have to train your children to obey and honor you. And the book of Proverbs is filled with principles to help parents train their children and, and, and children to obey their parents. Now, you know, somebody once said, some people take better care of their pets than they do their children. How sad it is when kids go wild and dogs go to obedience schools. <laughs> Leave it at that. Focusing on rights, whether by children or adults, weakens and destroys relationships upon every level. And, and you know, sometimes... Our kids claim rights that they don't have. You can't come into my room without knocking. <laughs> really. I threatened to take the doors off of, my, off of their rooms. You can't do that. I, I get the hammer and the screwdriver ready to go. <laughs> to, and and yeah, I could go on forever on, on this thing, but you know it... <laughs> You know, I said, if, if I have to go into you for something, I'm going to go. And, and, you know, if, if I see something that catches my eye that I think, you know what, this, this shouldn't be there, or maybe I should, you know, check it out, I'm going to. I don't need your permission. If you don't want me to see it, then you better have a good hiding place. I'm not going to go and tear your room apart. But if I have to go in to get something or to check something, I'm going to. But, you know, today we go, oh, I can't go in there. Hey, is it okay if I come in? This kind of thing, the focusing on rights, it weakens and destroys relationships on every level. It's the common sense of responsibility that builds right relationships and right character. Think about it. When a baby is born, what does that baby know? Absolutely nothing. The child has to be taught what he needs to know. They come into this world knowing nothing. And, and think about that. They come into the world knowing nothing. They haven't done anything wrong. And how does their life start up? With a slap on the backside. They get spanked the minute they come into this world. Can you imagine what that child was thinking? What in the world did I do? How, that, how, why am I being treated like this? You see, they're born to sin. They're born to sin. They're bent on doing wrong. That's why you have to teach them to do what's right. You have to teach them what's good for them. You have to teach them what's bad for them. But if you let a child loose to, you know, and to do whatever they want, it's not good for them. For example, if you let a child choose what they want to eat every day, guess what they're going to eat? They're going to want sweets. That's why you have to make them brush their teeth. You have to make them take a bath. You have to make them go to school. You have to teach them the things that they need. You know, or else they, they choose their own way. Those things aren't going to get done. 
They don't know how to speak. Parents have to teach them what to say, what's right, what's wrong. Solomon said in Proverbs 29, 15, a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So we see there in verses 1 through 3 that the child's responsibility to their parents. Now let's look at verse 4 and we see the duty of parents. Verse 4, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the... This was my, this was my girl's favorite verse. <laughs> Dad, the Bible says you're not to provoke your children to wrath. I said, you're really good at that. Why don't you know the rest of the scriptures like that? But, you know, it, it just... But it, it, this, this has some really good instructions for us. Now, in Paul's day, when he wrote this, the typical father in Paul's day, and I'm not, I'm not uh, promoting this or encouraging this, okay? Paul, in, in Paul's day, basically, Paul, the, the father basically decided who lived and who died in his house. Slaves and children included. And he could throw any of them out of the house, sell them as slaves, even kill them, and answer to nobody. Because it was the father's responsibility for managing the home. Paul speaks to the father, but this doesn't exclude the mother. To provoke to wrath is to continually do something that slowly builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that finally comes to a head and it explodes in outward hostility. Now, it's never our intent to provoke our children to wrath. And most of the time we do it thinking it's for their own good. But hovering, smothering, overprotecting, even when you mean well, is, is a common reason that children become resentful. And I think, you know, I was, I was guilty of that. I don't think it, I was. It's difficult. It's hard. You want to protect them. You want to watch out for them. And you do it thinking the best, but, you know, sometimes it's, it's too much. Parents who smother their children or are too restrictive about where they can go or what they can do or never trust them to do things on their own, continually questioning their decisions or ridiculing their decisions, it builds a wall between them and their children while, they, while thinking all the time they're, they're building a closer relationship. And then the parents wonder why their children don't want to tell them what they're doing in their life. Or they don't, the children don't want to ask their parents for their opinion or advice because they know they're going to get shut down. They're going to get ridiculed, lectured. And then we come along and say, I'm doing this because I love you. And we are. And, and, but because they don't ask or come and want to you know, hear from you anymore, you say, well, you know what? Forget it. I, you know, I, if you don't want my help, then... then I won't ask you anymore. We need, yes, we need to give our children guidance. We need to set boundaries for them. We need to, and keep a close eye on them, and especially today. But they're still individual human beings, and they have to learn to make their own decisions. That, that, you know, that they're old enough and mature to make at the time. We're to guide their minds, but not control them. You can also provoke your children to wrath by showing favoritism. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. 
And, and, and Rebekah favored Jacob over Esau. Joseph was favored over his brothers. And remember it said his brothers hated him. And when you compare your children to each other, especially in front of them, it can be harmful to the child. They may not, that child might not be as talented or favored as the other. They're likely to get discouraged, resentful, and withdrawn. You can provoke your children by, by setting unrealistic expectations for them. By putting so much pressure on your child to do good that you nearly destroy them. And it doesn't take long before they get the idea that no matter what they do, it's not good enough. No matter what I do, it's not good enough to please mom and dad. And then when they do accomplish something better, hey, you could have done better. You could have done better. Instead of, you know, say, hey, great job on what you've done. Fathers, maybe, who wanted to be big in sports, they try to live their fantasy out through their sons. Or mothers, who fantasize about some exciting career, they try to live it through their daughters. But that dishonors the responsibility as parents. You can provoke your children by discouraging them. If you never compliment them or, enc or encourage them, you know, if you're, if you're always telling your children, what's wrong with you? Can't you do anything right? Pretty soon they're going to give up. And they will be convinced they can't do anything right, that they can't please mom and dad. So why should I try anymore? A child needs approval and needs to be encouraged when they do good, just as they need to be disciplined when they do wrong. Also, if you make your child feel like they get in the way of your goals and your plans and your happiness, do you make them feel that if it wasn't for them, you'd have a better, a better life? Do they feel like they're an inconvenience, an obstacle? This is a reason to, for them to get resentful. But are you willing to sacrifice yourself for your children? Because that's what parenting is. The moment we have children, it's no longer about us. It's all about them. Parenting isn't, isn't a right or a privilege. It's a responsibility. Someone said, too many parents mortgage the soul of their children to buy things. One day you'll become unwanted and an inconvenience to their plans and happiness. Another way of angering children is to love them only when they do good. And when they're bad, you're cold to them. Physical and verbal abuse can provoke children to anger. Even Christian parents, especially fathers, overact sometimes in their discipline. But being a good disciplinarian, but disciplinarian isn't a matter of showing them who's the boss and exercising the greater authority and strength, but it's correcting your children in love and in fairness. We just can't, you know, you can just as easily overpower a child with words as you can with physical force. Solomon said in Proverbs 25, 15, patience can persuade a prince and soft speech can break bones. In other words, patience and gentleness in the way you talk breaks down resistance. Putting them down or being sarcastic can cause serious harm and provokes them to anger and resentment. And you know what? It's really shocking sometimes the, uh, 
sometimes the, the things that, that we can say to our children that we wouldn't dare think of saying to anybody else because it might ruin our reputation. Paul said, don't provoke them to wrath. But he said, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, or Solomon said. But he's, he's, he's agreeing here with Solomon. This refers to the regular training of children, including the idea of correction or wrongdoing, Proverbs 13, 24. Proverbs 23, 13, Solomon said, do not withhold correction from a child. Parents are directed by God to discipline their children. Proverbs 29, 17, Solomon said, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, the word chastening is used. Paul's meaning here is expressed even more fully in Proverbs 22.6 when Solomon said, as I've already read, train up a child in the way he should go and even when he is old, he will not depart. Discipline has to do with the overall training of children and that includes disciplining them. Strong's Concordance uh, says of the word admonition, it's literally a calling attention to, and it also includes the idea of mild rebuke or warning. It's instruction. It gives the idea of correction. The kind of instruction that's found in the book of Proverbs, where the main emphasis is the training and teaching of children. You know, when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it... it, it God tells uh, Moses to tell the, the, the parents that they are to teach the children when they get up, when they lay down, when they stand up, when they walk in the way, whatever they're doing, constantly teaching the children right and wrong in the ways of the Lord. It was the parents' responsibility. And nothing's changed. The key to right discipline and instruction of children is its being of the Lord. And the Bible gives us the right attitudes and principles for behavior. Everything that we do for our children is to be of the Lord according to the teaching of his word. And by the guidance and the power of his Holy Spirit in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to his glory and to his honor. In closing... On the subject of the child's own responsibility, we need to understand that they are their own people and they have set their own set of responsibilities before God and others. And even though they may be taught wisely, they may be raised morally, and as parents, you lived righteously before them, they had good role models. Nevertheless, and here's the hard thing, sometimes they still go their own way which is not necessarily your fault. We see it in Scripture. Moses' son didn't follow after him. Samuel's sons didn't follow after them. Cain turned out to be a murderer. We see in Scripture again, after Adam and Eve fell, after the fall, you know, they, they, they were intelligent. Even after the fall, okay, were intelligent and knew God intimately. And they were probably model parents. But again, look at how Cain turned out to be a murderer. But the Bible says it wasn't Adam and Eve's fault. It says it was the result of Cain doing his own sins from a sinful heart. 
So if your child has abandoned the Lord and is living a worldly life, it's not necessarily your fault. Don't give up hope either. Because God has called many children like this. Our duty is to continue to live as Christians and pray for our children regularly. And sometimes we think, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? I wasn't a good enough parent for them. Hey, look, you can be enough for your children if Jesus is enough for you. Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. Father, we're so blessed to have such a wonderful father. And as dads, may we follow your example. Because we can fall short and we do fall short, God. So often. I know I did. But may may we follow your example. How you call us your children. And how you love us unconditionally. And how you provide for us and you protect us. You meet all of our needs. And when we need to be disciplined, you discipline us. But you do it in love. So Lord, help us always look to you as our example because we need all the help we can get we love you Lord Lord show us your grace show us your mercy Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Help us to be spirit-led parents. Bible-reading parents. God-loving parents. Because then we will be all that our children need us to be. Father, we thank you for the offering we will receive today, God. Again, great example of the provider for your children. How you have provided for us for so many years, God. We've never had to beg. We've never had to bring it up. We don't. We are your children, and you take care of us. So we thank you, Father. And it's in Jesus' gracious name that we pray. Amen. Tonight, as